Hi, this is Betsy Brantner-Smith with the National Police Association, and this is the NPA Report. I have a fellow retired cop, fellow author, consultant, and a guy who really has his finger on the pulse of what's happening in uh, modern American law enforcement. Paul Capitelli, welcome to the show. Great. Thank you. I, my pleasure to be here. Thank you for inviting me. So, Paul, um, I, we have so much to talk about and so little time. And you are you you are a prolific uh, author and uh, when it comes to law enforcement issues and there's so much happening now in law enforcement. I think what I want to start with is the the trend that you and I are seeing from defund the police to now refunding the police. Let's talk about that. Yeah. Well, first of all, thank you for uh, thank you for reading and following some of my articles. I sometimes I write them and I uh, as I walk away, I think. I don't know. Did I go a little overboard there? I was a little uh, a little pointed. Sometimes I really like to push the envelope a little bit. My goal is always to pr provoke a little bit of thought. So uh, hopefully we, we met the mark. Yeah. Uh, you know, on the on the uh, defund, uh, first of all, uh, I really think that the term defund uh, is probably the worst thing that the, the, the people who are pushing the effort could have done for themselves, because the term itself really basically means take money away from law enforcement, take cops off the street. And um, the, I, I think behind it in the ideology, as I understand it, is the idea is if you take law enforcement dollars and you reappropriate them or repurpose them for something that has more of a, of a socially uh, based program uh, initiative to it, that somehow you're going to make society a safer place. And, uh, for, first and foremost, I, I want to go on record saying I do believe there is some merit to the notion that you can take some of the functions of line police officers and reassign them to other people who aren't, you know, gun wearing, you know, badge carrying police officers, support people. You can, you know, send those. Uh, you know, as I know you and I talked a little bit about some of our days in law enforcement, and certainly agree. I think that there were times that you were on a call as a police officer, and you thought this job that I'm doing right at this very moment could probably be done by somebody other than a line police officer. In other words, my time as a police officer is probably better spent doing something else other than what I'm doing at this very moment. And so, in that respect, I think there's some value in. Uh, in, in looking at that. But a couple of things come to mind. First of all, and I think this is the most important point, that does not happen overnight. And so the notion that you can take and reappropriate and reallocate millions of dollars in police funding and then say, we're going to put it towards program A or program B or this initiative or that. And overnight, you're automatically going to facilitate change. That is just absolutely ludicrous. That's not the way program, that's not the way change takes place. That's certainly not the way program evaluation works. Uh, it takes a lot of time and a lot of effort and, and a lot of work to try to take and, and shift like that. So I think if you want to make a change like that as a society, I think you need to sit down and you need to come to the table with a lot of different groups and you need to say, what can we do better or what could we do if we reallocated this particular resource that's currently 
in, in the police, um, uh, under the police umbrella and put it somewhere else? What could we do? That is to me, that's strategic, that could be valuable. But the notion that all of a sudden, because you have a group of people, and I'm gonna call them for lack of a better term, the mob, because we did have a mob siege mentality that's been taking place in this country since about the middle of last year. But if the notion that the mob uh, is, is pushing forward, which is we are angry at the police, and therefore what we want is we want to take money away from the police and we want to reallocate it to something that's gonna make society better. So we won't have as many criminals for the police to deal with. Well, that is absolutely absurd. And uh, you know, I'm not a criminal. I've never been a criminal. I don't plan on being a criminal, but I've been in and around criminals for over four decades. And I can tell you the criminal mentality is such that the criminals don't wake up and say, oh, the police are defunded now. That means that I no longer am going to you know, in, engage in criminal activity. Then all of a sudden that now I'm part of the new world order of the criminal and now I'm not going to resist the police. I'm not going to commit crimes. I'm not going to uh, do any of the things that, that cause police officers to have to take action. So uh, when I heard about the defund movement and I started following everything last year and I saw what was happening it was extremely troubling to me. And, and what was I think even worse is number one, there were a lot of people that were giving money to the effort that was trying to get money taken away from police, the, the groups of people that were saying, we want to raise money so that we can further our cause to take money away from the police. That was troubling the number of people, especially large corporations and such that donated to that. And then the second piece of that was the fact that a lot of local policymakers and a lot of, uh, of people in local government, uh, because they felt like uh, they needed to uh, signal their virtue, if you will, to the people that were, that were pushing hard to defund the police. They said, oh yeah, you're right. We're going to automatically take a lot of money away from the police budget to make the world a better place. And I didn't see anything strategic involved. I didn't see anything methodical involved. And um, so fast forward to here we are now, almost a year and a half later since that all started. Uh, it's interesting. I think we're starting to see what I, what I coined, you know, buyer's remorse. Uh, a lot of a lot of people who initially were on that bandwagon for defund the police. Uh, you see a lot of, of law enforcement agencies now that are going in another direction. Uh, you know, even the federal government, uh, you know, even within the last couple of weeks, we've had some federal funding that has come for uh, for law enforcement to put cops back on the street. And, you know, uh, uh, one of the one of the things that, you know, when you when you when you live long enough in a profession and you see a lot of things happening over the decades, you know, uh, back in the uh, back in the uh, in the late 80s and in the 90s, we had a lot of initiatives to put a lot of law enforcement officers on the street. And a lot of that came out of the cops office, the National Cops Office. And that was supported all the way up the chain, uh, up through Congress and through the president of the United States at the time. And it was really great for local law enforcement. It was great to see. And then we were able to do some really wonderful things to really to, to attack the crime problem, make the streets safer. Uh, when this trend started last year of taking money away, I thought, you know, all the work and all the effort that we went through of all that time and all the millions of dollars that have been spent were completely wiped away within, you know, within just a, 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 a stroke of a pen. And it, it was very troubling to me as, as a career law enforcement person, somebody dedicated decades to this profession to see that happening. Uh, but I, I really start to, I'm really, I really think that right now what we're starting to see is some communities are starting to, 
reevaluate whether or not that was a good idea. So I, I think we're seeing some of that funding returning. Uh, we're also seeing the, uh, the byproduct of that, which was predicted by people who had been around for a long time and said, look, if you take money away from the police, uh, your, your communities aren't gonna be safer, your law enforcement is not gonna be able to respond as quickly. And uh, when that started happening, I think that you know, uh, smarter heads prevailed and, and all of a sudden we said, well, maybe we ought to, we ought to think, uh, think again about taking money away from law enforcement. So I, I see the trend going in the other direction, but there is a caveat to that, which is I think we, we could see, we could have one political flashpoint I think that could undo that. We could have one controversial shooting that would that would breathe life back into the defund movement again on a national level. And so, uh, I really I really hope that uh, that people will come to some middle ground. But my, the bottom line is, as I stated, I, I really think it takes time. If you want to facilitate change, if you want to augment your law enforcement agency with with other people who aren't cops to go out and mitigate disputes and things like that, dispute resolution people, I think that's great. I uh, as I know you did, I'm sure, uh, uh, Sarge, you spent enough time as I did uh, listening to people argue with their neighbors about, you know, what their neighbor did in this. The worst I ever had was the person that called in the summertime because the neighbor had a, a, a jar of sun tea on the top of the block wall. And they said, I, they, they didn't pay for that half of the wall. That's my wall. And they're trespassing on that wall. True story. And I thought to myself, <laughs> why am I wasting my time? Why yeah. are the taxpayers? I could be chasing down crooks right now, but I'm here mitigating the, the sun tea on the wall dispute. It's ridiculous. But these are the types of things that, that law enforcement people do that I think could be done by others, but that doesn't happen overnight. We're always trying to reform, i.e. improve our profession and how we deliver service and the things we're involved in. So this this notion that American law enforcement uh, is a bunch of knuckle draggers in uniform, it's nonsense. And, uh, you know, I'll tell you, the National Police Association, we do polling with the Rasmussen organization. Most people don't want the police defunded. In yeah. fact, most people want the, uh, more police officers in their communities. They want right. their police officers to have more financial resources. Right. And uh, so I hope we're seeing a, tr a change in the trends. I agree. I just one final thought on that, which is, uh, you know, social media is a two-edged sword, right? In one respect, it provides us with real-time information. I don't want to say facts because sometimes what we're receiving by way of social media is not facts, but at least it points us in a direction toward uh, us being able to, as a society, maybe find the facts and make our own uh, assessment. But uh, social media has been good for, you know, the sharing of information, but it also has been to the detriment of law enforcement because in an instant, social media can take a situation that is really benign and perhaps has a, a, a plausible explanation and turn it into something that's really, really, really uncomfortable and, and, uh, and um, uh, painting law enforcement in a negative light. Uh, and misinformation spreads much faster than, you know, valuable or valid information across social media. And so uh, I, I think law enforcement has had to work harder over the past uh, you know, several years, recent years, uh, to try to stay ahead of that. But uh, I don't really think there's a way that you can, you can prevent uh, you know, uh, a new hashtag from trending about some horrible incident that took place and then 
a large number of people forming an opinion or a rush judgment about something and then immediately taking to the streets and, and uh, expressing their frustration by rioting and looting stores and things of that nature. I mean, then we could go off in a different direction on all of that and how that kind of played out. But uh, certainly, you know, people, people who, are, who are law enforcement officers, uh, you know, whether it's now or in the past, you know, you become a law enforcement officer because you really believe in the rule of law and you really believe in the constitution and you really believe strongly in people's, you know, constitutional rights. And so I, I, I you'd be hard pressed, I think, to find a police officer that does not support the right for peaceful protest for people to, you know, express their dissent. Uh, but when peaceful protest turns into violence and rioting, that's when the police need to take action. And I've seen over the over the years, but more so in the last year and a half, uh, this this tendency that the media has had or the anti-police people have had to try to say the police attacked peaceful protesters. And I, my experience is that just hasn't been the case. The police have taken action against people who were uh, maybe they started out as protesters. Then you have agitators who actually get bust into communities and right. you know right, and they show up. And usually what, and this is what I noticed the uh, kind of got a little bit of tangent here, but I just want to make this point uh, is that what I've seen happen is you have the, the quote unquote peaceful protest and organized protest in the daytime. And then the second the sun goes down, you have the organized anarchist people that show up. And then what the, what the media and, and the anti-police zealots try to do is they try to say, but these were the peaceful people and the police turned against them. That is not, in my experience, what has occurred. What has occurred is the police allowed the peaceful people to, to, to protest and do everything uh, without uh, you know, any interference. But when the, you know, the crowd starts throwing rocks and bottles and all of a sudden, and, and if you've seen the, the footage of some of these people, the, the anarchist types, they're, you know, they show up with the, uh, the shields and the umbrellas and the backpacks, uh, you know, all full of weaponry and everything else. Mm -hmm. And they're, they're very well funded. They're very well trained. They're very well equipped. And uh, these are the people that are the professional agitators. And those are the people that need the police protection. They need the police to intervene uh, to protect the peaceful protesters, if you will. But sometimes I think the, the lines get kind of blurred in that respect. Well, and as we move forward, you know, in society now, there seems to be uh, more tolerance for the breaking of laws. So, you know, 10 years ago when we had protesters, I mean, I've been on many a, a riot line. I have been on, I have been protecting uh, protesters that I absolutely disagreed with, mm -hmm. but our job was to protect them and their First Amendment rights and, and it was my experience that most of those protesters, whatever the topic was, you know, they, they went according to the permit they were issued, they stayed where they were supposed to stay. And, uh, and whether I agree with them or not, that was my job. But we've lost the, um, I think the leadership has stopped allowing law enforcement to do their job in a lot of these uh, protests. So that they do get out of hand quickly and they turn from peaceful protests, even if it's loud, uh, it turns to arson and looting and, and, you know, and, and yet that's tolerated as well. And I, you know, that's yeah. just got to stop. I hope we're moving into a, a place in society where there is more intolerance 
of lawbreaking than there really has been in the last you know couple of years, if you will. Do you think we're seeing that? Uh, I, I think we are, but I think it depends on the community too. Um, you know, what I've seen is there are some communities that uh, just really don't quite understand um, what could happen to a community or to their to their neighborhood once they allow more of the violence and more of the law breaking. And I'll give you another real example, which is, um, you know, the the people who called themselves protesters that were going up to people's uh, tables in restaurants with bullhorns in their face and yelling at them and intimidating them and really bullying them and, you know, yelling in their face uh, saying, if you don't say this or you don't say that, then, you know, uh, you're a bigot and you don't support us and, and, and people sometimes pushing back and then violence would erupt. Uh, to me, that's not peaceful protest. Uh, that's really, that's really anarchist. And, uh, uh, peaceful protest is something else. Uh, I don't think anybody really wants to go to a restaurant and be harassed or want to go to the store and be, wants to go to the store and be harassed uh, by somebody. Uh, if you want to protest and you want to tell me what your opinion is, great. But uh, if, you, if you are interfering with or disturbing my peace as a citizen in what you're doing, you know, especially if you're laying down in the roadway blocking traffic and, you know, prohibiting people from going to work and, you know, the service industry to service the, the businesses and things like that. Well, now you're, now you're impeding society and now you've crossed the line between being a peaceful protester and somebody who's breaking the law. And so, uh, you know, I, and I really think that, that, you know, good, hardworking Americans for the most part, you know, not much has changed over the years in that they want to be, they want to be safe. People want to be able to express their opinion, uh, you know, without any, any fear of, of, uh, of retribution. But in the same respect, they want to be safe. They want their family to be safe and they don't want to be harassed. And when they're on their way to work, they don't want to be late because somebody's laying down on the roadway in front of the cars. And so right, right. I, I agree with you. I think the people as a whole don't want society to be impeded by, by the protest, by the so-called peaceful protesters. So uh, we got to make sure that they, people stay in their, in their lanes, if you will. Yeah, absolutely. So Paul, we only have a couple of minutes left, but I want to get your thoughts on where we're heading. You know, do we, do we have a recruitment and retention crisis when it comes to law enforcement in this country? And, and what are we going to do about it? I think we have a tremendous problem. And by the way, it's not a new problem. Uh, it's a problem that's been there for a while. Uh, it's a problem that's accentuated and it's accentuated by uh, a couple of things that we already discussed. The, the, the defund movement, which you know, takes officers out, uh, out of it, puts them out of a job. Uh, and then you also have the, uh, the ongoing problem, which is uh, you know, who wants to be a police officer when you read the news about police officers going to work, doing their job, something goes wrong, and then that police officer ends up being arrested and charged criminally. Uh, uh, nobody wants to be uh, on the wrong end of a, of, a, of a situation that's gone bad. And so I think you have a lot of people that are going to be dissuaded. Uh, I think you've got a lot of people now who are leaving the profession for various reasons. You know, one issue we really didn't get into was the issue of, of, of the vaccination and the va vaccination mandates. Uh, I'm not going to uh, draw a line in the sand on which side I believe is right or wrong. But with respect to this issue right here, uh, it does create a challenge for law enforcement because if you say 
as a, as a civic leader, uh, we're going to require all of our public safety people, police and fire to be mandated. And you have a group of people that are working in those professions that say, we are not going to take the, uh, the vaccine and, and uh, whether you mandate it or not, uh, they're gonna leave the profession. And then how are you gonna backfill that? You know, it takes a long time. You don't just hire somebody to, it's like, it's not like hiring somebody to be a server in a restaurant where you say, okay, here's where we pick up the food. Here's where we wash the dishes. And, you know, here's where you pay the bill. Uh, it takes, uh, I, I, you know, close to about a year before somebody from the date they're hired until they're actually on the street before they're a fully functional police right. officer. Right. And then they may not even be functioning to the fullest extent that you need them to function and not all make it, you know, some get out there and they, they realize that they're, that they're not cut out for it. So there's a whole vetting process. I, I think we're in a crisis situation. I think it's going to get worse before it gets better. Oh, Paul, where can people find you to read your articles and uh, and and follow what your thoughts, because they are so profound. Where can people find you? Thank you. Well, uh, most recently, I've been uh, writing articles for uh, American Police Beat magazine, and the website address for that is apbweb.com. I have a monthly column there called Between the Lines, and it's right on the, on the main page. If you go over and click on Between the Lines, you'll see me there. And then also, uh, I have a website where you can take a look at at my, uh, my background, I also post uh, some of the articles there that I've written recently and some of the things that I'm doing in the consulting world. And my website address is Paul Cap. That's P-A-U-L-C-A-P-P -P with two P's.com. Awesome. Thanks so much for spending time with us today. And if you would like more information about the National Police Association, visit us at nationalpolice.org. Last year, law enforcement officers were involved in hundreds of thousands of use of force incidents. A use of force incident is when an officer must use nonverbal tactics to gain control of a dangerous situation. Put the knife on the ground. In many cases, officers have no choice but to use force when a suspect doesn't comply with a lawful order. Use of force is always ugly. No one likes it, especially police officers. Together, we can help de-escalate these dangerous encounters. Help police officers by complying with their lawful orders. Don't attack, attempt to disarm, or flee from an officer. Use of force is an officer's last option. Most incidents can be avoided by not resisting arrest. If you feel you've been wrongfully detained by a police officer, then seek a legal solution after the encounter has been resolved. Let's keep everyone safe. Comply now and complain later.